0: Welcome to Without the Footnotes with me, your host, Estherini. On this week's episode, I'll be talking about the genocide in Bosnia. Hi friends, and welcome to Season 2, Episode 6 of Without the Footnotes, Not Your Typical Holocaust Lecture. The week seems to have flown by. I feel like I just recorded last week's episode about Rwanda, and now here we are again. Um everything's changed it would seem it's no longer like minus degrees and freezing cold and ice and snow everywhere it's literally like spring um I think today was like 12 degrees but yesterday was around 16 and it just felt oh it's just so much better when the the skies are blue and it's warm out and you feel like you can just hang around outside and you don't really have to be doing anything like just sitting outside is fine it's such a mood booster um but there were literally hundreds of people around yesterday on the canal by my house so it was a bit of a I mean it was really enjoyable to be out walking in nice weather but also at the same time way too many people for my liking so but anyway not complaining not complaining about that at all. Um, On this week's episode I'm going to talk about the genocide that happened at Srebrenica in Bosnia, what's now Bosnia and Herzegovina and yeah that will be this week's episode. (laughs) I don't know what I'm saying. Anyway let's just crack on. Okay, so here we go. This week, we're going to stay in the 90s and we're headed to the Balkans. So southeastern Europe, where Serbia, Kosovo, Bulgaria, Croatia, where all those countries are. And I'm going to talk about the genocide that happened in Srebrenica in Bosnia during the Bosnian War, which occurred between 1992 and 1995. Okay, so this is a region with a long complicated history with like politics and all of that kind of stuff and I took a class on Balkan politics in my undergrad and I think for me it would take way more than a semester to understand the complexities of this region but here I am going to try and sum it up a little bit so that we have some context for this genocide. So post-World War II the Federal Republic of Yugoslavia is created that compromises of six six socialist states bosnia serbia montenegro croatia slovenia and macedonia and they're basically united as one big country and the president of this republic was a man named tito who governed it from 1953 until his death in 1980 Now, within the Republic, there were, and still are, several different ethnic groups defined as the following. So the Serbians, who were Orthodox Christian, the Bosniaks, who were Muslim, uh, Albanians, who were also Muslim, and the Croats, who were Catholic. There were obviously other other groups in this region, but because I'm focusing on Bosnia, those are the ones that I'm explaining – um, and within the region, there had existed for a long time certain tensions between these groups. And there was also leadership, economic and nationalist issues going on alongside these eth- ethnic tensions. So one thing we do need to note is that people from different ethnic groups lived across the republic. So just because you were Serbian doesn't, didn't mean that you necessarily lived in Serbia. However... As Tito governed the entire republic, he kept these tensions kind of in check and kept the region pretty stable. But when he died, so did the stability and the unification of the republics. As certain groups started to express their desires for independence, which all came to a head when, um, which all came to a head in the nineteen nineties. And that ens- and what ensued was many years of conflict and violence, which led to the eventual independence of all six republics. So, among some of the leaders of these republic- republics, there was a sense of nationalism that started to grow after the death of Tito, which gained some real traction in the mid '80s with the rise of Slobodan Milosevic, who became the president of Serbia in 1989. And Milosevic wanted to strengthen Serbia's position within Yugoslavia and build a greater Serbia. And he did this by transforming the Yugoslavia, or attempted to do this by transforming... transforming the Yugoslavian army military so that the majority who were serving in the military were Serbian. He also took over the media in Serbia and used propaganda to fuel ethnic tensions by convincing Serbian civilians across Yugoslavia that Croatians, Bosnians and Albanians were a threat to them and their rights, igniting nationalist feelings across the region. And it really kicked off when, in June of 1991, Slovenia and Croatia declared their independence from Yugoslavia. And this is what sparked the beginning of the breakup of the region. When this was announced, the next month, the Yugoslav army, which, as I mentioned before, largely consisted of Serbs, was controlled by Milosevic um, and was controlled by Milosevic, invaded Croatia under the guise of protecting the Serbian minority that lived there and as a result the uh, war of independence broke out and this went on until 1995. There were also atrocities that were committed during this Croatian war of independence in the form of mass killings but for the purpose of this episode I'm going to stick to explaining what happened in Bosnia. So in February of 1992 a referendum was passed in Bosnia for independence which was recognized by the us and the eu in april of that year and pretty much immediately bosnian serb forces so if remember the yugoslav army is predominantly serbian and then also within bosnia you have serbian forces um so these forces were backed by the the Yugoslav arm, army and they launched an offensive to retain control of certain areas of Bosnia so that those areas would ultimately beca- um, come under Serbian rule and not be affected by this um, Bosnian independence. And what ensued was... The Bosnian war that lasted from 1992 to 1995. Now I'm going to put a trigger warning in here specifically regarding rape and sexual sexual violence so please just be warned I will be talking about this for a few minutes. Um, So Bosnia was a multi-ethnic country consisting of mainly Muslim Bosniaks who consisted of around 44% of the population Orthodox Serbs who were around 30% of the population and Catholic Croats who consisted of around 17%. The initial conflict was between the Yugoslav army, so the Serb, predominantly Serb, and the army of the Republic of Bosnia and Herzegovina and the Croatian Defence Council, so the Bosniaks and the Croats, predominantly against the, the Serbs. Although there was also a croat Bosniak war that escalated in 1993, but as I said before, like this, all of this stuff is quite complicated. So I'm just focusing it, focusing in on Bosnia and how that led to the eventual genocide. Anyway, I'm um, am I digressing? I'm digressing. So what happened during the Bosnian war was firstly a lot of war crimes, but. Um, Although it's been recognised that these crimes were committed on all sides, the majority was perpetrated by Serb forces. So in order to create an ethnically pure territory within Bosnia, these Serb forces has a, had a policy of capturing and cleansing different areas. And they would rob, torture, systematically rape and murder people, forcibly deplace them there would be roundups and mass executions and confinement in concentration camps there would also be disregard for any un safe havens that had been created so during this time when these wars were happening the international community was actually pretty involved in um pretty involved in keeping an eye on what was going on there there was un peacekeepers were based there there were journalists all type of types of things like um nato was involved like eyes were on the on yugoslavia at this point when all this was happening um some of you may remember seeing this on the news um so Here goes the the trigger warning. So rape in particular was used as a weapon against Bosnian Muslim women. And it's estimated that anywhere between 12 to 50,000 women were raped and girls were raped during this war. And it's because of this fact that for the first time in history, systematic rape and sexual enslavement was declared a crime against humanity. So the scale of it, prompted that basically so rape was used as a form of ethnic cleansing women and girls would be imprisoned at detention centers in horrific conditions and repeatedly raped often impregnated so that the child they birthed would be of the rapist's ethnic origin and by that logic outbreeding the bosnian muslims to ensure this the women would be held until it was too late for an abortion once they were released from these detention centres. And some women were raped in front of crowds, they were gang raped and subject to other physical abuse. Rape was also facilitated between family members. And sexual violence was used as a tool to degrade and ostracise men also from their communities. Prisoners would be forced to rape each other and genital mutilation was also used as a form of torture. So all of this of course had a deep lasting psychological effect on survivors and there is testimony that you can read about this but I will warn you that it is brutal but this kind of mass rape was a defining feature I guess you would say feature of this particular war um, and specifically the ethnic cleansing that was being perpetrated so alongside this policy of rape and ethnic cleansing, the Bosnian Serbs would commit mass executions. And one of the um, biggest massacres to occur in Bosnia was at Srebrenica, where around seven to 8,000 Bosniak men and boys were murdered in July of 1995. In addition to this, over 20,000 people were expelled from the area. So, this massacre was, at the time, the worst mass murder to have occurred in Europe since World War II, and the International Criminal Tribunal for the former Yugoslavia concluded that this massacre, alongside the expulsions, constituted constituted genocide pinning the main responsibility on the bosnian serb army even though there were crimes as i said committed on all sides so on july 6th of 1995 as bosnian serb forces were advancing were advancing thousands of civilians fled srebrenica to a nearby village where around 200 dutch peacekeepers were stationed as the bosnian serb army advanced the dutch surrendered and or withdrew, and Srebrenica was taken by the Serbs. So on the evening of the 11th of July, around 10,000 Bosniak men had um, basically agreed to leave Srebrenica in an attempt to reach Bosniak-held territory and therefore safety. And this led to a really chaotic escape attempt with only about a third of the column reaching safety and the rest were brutalised and murdered. So once the Bosnian Serbs had the territory, the women, children and the elderly were placed on buses and driven out of the area into Bosniak-held territory. The Serbs then, under false pretenses of safety, encouraged all the men in the area to surrender, of which thousands did, like they believed them. They thought that they they could just surrender and they would be safe. Um, so thousands of men and boys did so and they were taken to holding sites and on the 12th and 13th of July, they were evacuated en masse, blindfolded and transported to different execution sites. These sites included a football field, meadows, school, factory, a cultural centre, roadsides and a farm to name but a few and many of the men and boys were bound by their hands and all their feet and were shot and placed in mass graves. These massacres occurred in the area up until the 22nd of July and after this point the war and all of its brutality continued until around August of 1995 when Bosnian Serb forces dropped a bomb on a mar- an, on a crowded market and NATO actually responded at this point with a three-week bombing campaign of Bosnian Bosnian Serb positions. So this was combined with a Bosnian and Croatian ground offensive that forced the Serbs back into negotiations for peace. The war was then officially ended when the Dayton Accords were signed in December of 1995. And by the end of the war, more than a hundred thousand civilians had been killed, twenty thousand were missing or believed to be dead, and over two million people had become refugees. And to this day, the people of Bosnia and Herzegovina still struggle with the aftermath of the war and the atrocities committed within with many people suffering psychological problems because of the nature of these crimes that were perpetrated against them. The International Criminal Tribunal for the former Yugoslavia was actually established in 1993 and ran until 2017 where the court prosecuted people who were found to be complicit in in these crimes during the yugoslav wars um milosevic himself was tried at the hague for the following um, crimes and i quote genocide so this is what he was um tried for or indicted indicted i don't know the legal terms but genocide complicity in genocide deportation murder ...persecutions on political, racial or religious grounds... ...inhumane acts... ...forcible transfer... ...extermination... ...imprisonment... ...torture... ...willful killing... ...unlawful confinement... ...willfully causing great suffering... ...unlawful deportation or transfer... ...extensive destruction and appropriation of property... ...not justified by military necessity... ...and carried out unlawfully and wantonly... ...cruel treatment plunder of public or private property, attacks on civilians, destruction or willful damage done to historic monuments and institutions dedicated to education or religion, unlawful attacks on civilian objects. The indictment reads that, and this is still part of the quote, the indictment reads that Milosevic was responsible for the forced deportation of 800,000 ethnic Albanians from Kosovo and the murder of hundreds of Kosovo Albanians and hundreds of non-Serbs in Croatia and Bosnia, end quote. So when Milosevic was um, indicted for all of these crimes, the trial uh, did begin in 2002. However, he died in 2006, so no verdict was given. He wasn't actually um, convicted of the crimes. However, The tribunal itself did set a precedent for its rulings on genocide and crimes against humanity and war crimes, providing victims with an opportunity to voice the horrors they witness and or experience and altogether really changing the landscape of international humanitarian law, which is really, really important because genocide and the crime of genocide itself is... Has proven to be very difficult to prosecute and also to attain justice from the people who suffer because of the complexity of the crime. As we can hear from that, the list of crimes that we've just read from, genocide and complicity in genocide is there, but also there are all these different things. As we know from episodes ago, that can constitute the crime of genocide. So it's very complicated. So. bringing people to justice in this way and having this court set up to do so and also very quickly after the the crimes have occurred is is a big feat in terms of getting justice for the victims and fun fact for you my professor who actually taught balkan politics um, for my undergrad he was helping prosecute or bring bring people to justice so he was a historian um yeah about the balkans and and everything that happened there and he was aiding the legal teams in identifying people and he had to go and give evidence i'm pretty sure he had to go and give evidence in a trial whilst i was being taught by him so pretty pretty cool like It's funny how you don't realise at the time, but you're literally just living through these massive historical events in real time. Not to get like weird about it, but this is going on all the time. This is why I think knowing about this kind of thing is so relevant, because it's happening. And there's a lot of people out there doing really vital work for survivors and victims of these types of crimes. And who knows when you come into contact with them, like, I don't know. It's fascinating to me to think that whilst he was teaching people, he was also trying to, he was still dealing with the ends or the repercussions of war and being proactive and doing something about it. Anyway, inspirational. So there you have it. That's the av- overview of what happened in Bosnia. Obviously, you can go and research a lot more about um, it all because it's, I didn't dive that deeply into Milosevic's um ideology but similar to other genocides that we have or I hope that you've listened to like before now but um just this ideology of wanting to build a great Serbia and Serbians being the best and all of that kind of thing and yeah as I said it's a very complicated region because different people lived in different places and therefore had connections to different places and claim and serbia like claiming it as their own and like all of this kind of stuff but for in terms of the bosnian genocide that is basically an overview of what happened um so my call to action this week is if you are into the legal side and and this kind of thing and and seeing how people are brought to justice for these types of crimes i would recommend going to the tribunal's website which i'll put a link to um, it's www.icty.org and you can you can see on their website list of cases of people that they've um, prosecuted for these crimes and you can click case by case and it is there is stuff in English you can click case by case see what they are put on trial for and see what the verdict is and all of that kind of stuff so I can't be the only geek out there that thinks that's quite interesting to look at to see what we're actually doing to these people who commit these types of crimes. So that would be my call to action. In terms of a a recommended reading, last week I did an episode on Rwanda and the book that I recommended, The Key to My Neighbour's House, also talks about Bosnia within that book. So it's a book about Rwanda and Bosnia and the aftermath of, of the genocides that occurred in both places. So I will just recommend that book again for you all. And with that being said, I think that is everything for this week. As ever, please rate, review, subscribe, share with your friends. Um, if you have any questions or anything that you would like that you're maybe confused on, or you'd like to know a little bit more about, or you want to be pointed in the right direction for something, do email me or DM me at without the footnotes on Instagram. My email is info at footnotes.org and that will come straight to me and I can just answer any questions that you have. And that is everything for this week. I hope you have enjoyed it to an extent that we can enjoy this kind of thing. And yeah, I'll catch you next time. Ciao.